Well, tonight we're beginning a brand new study, as you're well aware, through the Old Testament book of Malachi. We're going to be going verse by verse through the Old Testament book of Malachi. Now, if you have a hard time finding Malachi, the easy way to find it is to find Matthew, which generally we can find pretty easily. Find Matthew and hang a left, and you'll come directly to the book of Malachi. Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. Or you could also say it is the 39th book in the Bible. It's only four chapters long, but do not let the brevity of the book uh, make you think that there's not a lot in this book. This book really has a powerful message that is so relevant for our day. That's why I'm so glad that you're here, because we're going to be looking at a book that has a relevant message for us, for our church, And for our society. So the title of the study, as you can see, the book of Malachi. But the title is really, Facing Our Complacency. That really is kind of a summary of the entire book. This short little book, four chapters long. Deals with facing our complacency. Now I need you to help me for a moment. And I will repeat your answer so that those watching online can uh, can hear. But could you define for me this word right here? Complacency. How would you define complacency or complacent? I'm sorry, it, it doesn't matter? Yeah, that's a, good, that's a good description. It doesn't matter. Say, don't care. No direction. Got another one? Happy with how things are. Yeah. Those are all very good descriptions of complacent or complacency. I actually looked it up because I wasn't as smart as you all. I couldn't figure it all out. Uh, and, and I found out that a complacent person, listen, to, this kind of surprised me a little bit. Uh, the definition that I read said, a complacent person is very pleased with themselves and feels that they do not need anything, they do not need to do anything about a particular situation, even though the situation may be uncertain or dangerous. A complacent person is pretty pleased with themselves or with how things are going. And they don't feel the need to change anything. They don't see the need to change anything, even though the situation may be uncertain or dangerous. You see, when you're complacent, you you basically don't see what's, what's ahead. You don't see even the dangers ahead. You're content with the way things are. Is that what you said, Donna? Something? Yeah, you're content with the way things are. But here's the question. What if God isn't content with the way things are? You may be content with the way things are, but what if God is not content with the way things are? Perhaps God would send a messenger to warn His people about the danger of spiritual apathy. And indeed, He did. And guess what the name of that messenger is. Malachi. The final book of the Old Testament, Malachi, received its name from the author of the book. In Hebrew, the name Malachi means literally, my messenger. My messenger. Which points to Malachi's role as a prophet of the Lord and delivering God's message to God's people. So, think of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. God was saying, this is my messenger. 
or last book of the Old Testament. This is my final word. This is my message to you. Now, we don't know a whole lot about Malachi, the, the man, the prophet. We don't know a whole lot about him. Uh, there are none of the usual markers when this book begins. When, when you open this book, there are none of the usual markers that are typical of other prophetic books. And what I mean by that is when you read other prophetic book, books, many times they begin by stating uh, who the person is and who their father is and who was leading, who was on the throne during that time. We have these markers, if you will, these historical markers that give us a better understanding. Let me just show you what I'm talking about. You're in Malachi. Go to the left, one book, to the book of Zechariah. And, and go to chapter 1, verse 1. And just want you to see how this book Zechariah begins. In the eighth month of the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, son of Berechiah, son of Iddo. So, so we've got a lot of markers in that verse, right? That, that gives us a time reference and what's happening and, and who he's related to. Uh, go over to the very next book, the book of Haggai, the very short book of Haggai. Uh, and look how that begins. Chapter 1, verse 1. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Again. A lot of historical reference, a lot of markers. Not to belabor the point, but I just want you to see one more. Go over one more book, Zephaniah. It's a short book as well. And I want you to see how this book begins. Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah, son of Cushai, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah, during the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah. So normally when you have a prophetic book, there's these markers that explain who they're related to, who was on the throne during the time when they were prophesying, those kind of things. But I want you to notice, with that background now, I want you to notice how Malachi begins. Malachi chapter 1, verse 1. Look how this book opens. An oracle, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. It seems as if the emphasis here is on the message rather than the messenger. Now again, the, the name Malachi means my messenger, but it, it seems like from the very beginning of the book that the emphasis here is on the message that God has for His people. So we don't have the normal markers that we have in the historical and prophetic books that, that we normally would see. So, let's look at chapter 1, verse 1, and it says an oracle. That's not something you see very often in the Bible. In fact, it's only listed three times in the entire Old Testament. Do you see that phrase, an oracle? That, that phrase means a prophetic utterance that is a rebuke. A pr prophetic utterance that is a rebuke. In other words... This message that God has for His people is going to be a message of rebuke. Some translations, if you have the King James, I believe, maybe others, some translations translate this, the word an oracle, they translate it a burden. Do you see that in your translation? Anybody? Does it say a burden? Yeah. Yeah. I kind of like that word, a burden. The idea behind that word is, is that God is burdened by what He sees in the lives of His people. 
He's burdened by the complacency that he sees in his people. He's displeased and he uses Malachi as the messenger to warn the people about the danger of spiritual apathy. Folks, if there's a message we need today, I think it's that one. That God's speaking to His people to warn His people about the danger of spiritual apathy. And let me remind you, as in the King James, the word that that starts this book is a burden. Prophetic oracle. Now, look at the, at the verse again one more time before we move on. I want you to note this is almost poetic. The word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I really like that wording. The word of the Lord. This is going to be the word of the Lord. This is not the word of Malachi. This is the word of the Lord. And it's a word of the Lord to Israel. To God's chosen people. And it's a word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. My messenger. Now, may I remind you that Malachi holds the distinction of being the very last book of the Old Testament. So what is the last thing that God wants to say to His people in the Old Testament period? And the answer to that question might surprise you. The last thing that God wants to say to His people in the Old Testament period was about the spiritual apathy that he saw, not only in the people, but also in the priest. In fact, sometimes the spiritual apathy among God's people is so tragic, what we'll learn from Malachi is that sometimes God desires to close the doors to worship altogether. That the spiritual apathy is so distinct that God says in the book of Malachi, I'd rather we just shut the doors. I'd rather we not have worship if it's going to be worship that's not real. In other words, offering God nothing would be better than offering God the leftovers of your life. That's one of the messages of Malachi. That it would be better to offer God nothing than to offer God the leftovers of your life. Malachi shows us how God responds to those who tragically give him the bare minimum. That's the message. How God responds to people who are His people, and yet they give Him the bare minimum. Now to really grasp the meaning of this book, we need to place it in the context of biblical history. And so... We know it's the last book of the Old Testament, but what does that mean? And I don't know if you grabbed this on the way in. You're not used to doing, getting handouts, so you may have walked right past it. But I have provided you a handout. If you don't have one, feel free to jump up and go get one. Because what I want to do is take about five minutes and give you a survey of the Old Testament history. And to show you where Malachi fits in. Now we know it's at the end, but what happened before then? Alright? So, go get up. I'm sorry that... You didn't know to get one, but grab you one. I have covered some of these Old Testament survey notes before, but I thought it might be good for you to have a copy that you can just kind of fill in as we go, 
And then maybe you could transfer that to a notebook or fold this up and keep it in a notebook. But I'm basically going to summarize the entire Old Testament for you tonight in about five minutes. And so that you can then uh, understand how Malachi fits into Old Testament history as it is the last book of the Old Testament. So, let's break down the Old Testament. If you take the Old Testament, you can break it down into basically ten time periods or ten eras, all right? So, let me just jump into this. You fill in the blanks. And I've tried to give you a lot of information so you don't have to do a lot of writing. By the way, those watching online, if you will email us, we'll send you a digital copy of this, all right? So, here it is. The first era, as you break down the Old Testament into ten Ten eras or ten time periods. The first one is the age of beginnings. That covers creation through about 1800 B.C. Uh, now, please understand these dates are approximate. Uh, but that basically there's three major divisions in the age of beginnings. And that is the creation of the world and the creation of man. Genesis 1 and 2. Then, of course, the fall. Genesis 3. And then the spread of sin from the Garden of Eden. Which is Genesis 4 through 11. And three stories are used to explain the spread of sin. Those three stories are Cain and Abel, Noah and the flood, and the Tower of Babel. Now, if I go too fast, I'll be happy to try to help you fill in the blanks uh, after this is over. So that's the age of beginnings. I'm just trying to give you a very brief synopsis of the Old Testament, trying to help you understand what is the story of the whole Old Testament. So, the age of beginnings. Number two, the age of the patriarchs. 1800 B.C. to about 1300 B.C. That covers the biblical material of Genesis 12 through 50. The age of the patriarchs. Of course, that really focuses on one family. Four individuals, but one family. Uh, Abraham, who was the father, of course, and then also the father of our faith, but starts with Abraham, and then Isaac, and then Jacob, and then Joseph. Those are the four patriarchs. So it's interesting, the first 11 chapters of Genesis, it takes 11 chapters to deal with all of creation and the spread of sin and all of that. And then chapters 12 through 50 are about one family. It's it's an amazing account of how God worked through one family through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. That's the age of the patriarchs. Then the third age is the age of Moses. 1300 to 1250 B.C. That includes four books of the biblical material, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and you see the breakdown. I've given you the breakdown there on your notes of how uh, the the biblical material is broken down as far as the references there for the age of Moses. Uh, But it's the period of slavery, the period of encampment at Mount Sinai, the 40 years of wandering, and then 40 days on the plain of Moab before they go into the promised land, and Moses dies, of course, at the end of that. That's the age of Moses. And then the fourth age is the age of conquest and the division of the land. Uh, 1250 to 1200 B.C. are the rough dates for that. Uh, The biblical material is found in the book of Joshua. Uh, Chapters 1 through 12 is the military conquest of the land. Chapters 13 through 24 is the division of the land among the tribal groups. Of course, this is the time when Joshua is in charge. He's taken over from from Moses. And now they have moved out of Egypt. Now they're in the promised land. And that's the age of conquest and the division of the land. And then the fifth age is the age of the judges. 1200 to 1020 B.C. The, The biblical books that deal with this era are the books of Judges, Ruth, 
and 1 Samuel chapters 1 through 17. This is the dark age of the history of Israel. Let me give you a reference to write down. Judges 17.6. Judges 17.6. Also Judges 21.25. There's a summary statement that's used in both of those references. And the summary statement in both of those references is this. In those days there was no king in Israel. And every man did what was right in his own eyes. It was not a godly leader. Every man did what was right in, in his own eyes. And so God would raise up a military leader called a judge... And, and God would free His people from the oppression and turn the, the, the hearts of the people back to God. And then years later, that judge would die and then the cycle would repeat of the people wandering from God. God would raise up a judge. That's the age of judges. And then the sixth age is the age of united monarchy. The age of united monarchy. In other words, this is the time, this is kind of the... Uh, if you will, the prime time or the highlight of history for the people of Israel because this was the time of three important kings. Saul being the first, and then David, and then Solomon. This was the golden era of Old Testament history. Uh, It's also the appearance of the first great prophets of Samuel and Nathan. And you see the biblical books there that uh, talk about this united monarchy that Israel now has a king, and it is a God-appointed king Israel now has a God-appointed leader. United, age of United Monarchy. The seventh period is the period of the two kingdoms. The United Monarchy split. The dates for this are very important. 922 to 722 B.C. Uh, Judah, the southern kingdom... Um, separated from the northern kingdom. And the books that deal with that are 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 2 Chronicles, Amos, Hosea, Isaiah. Uh, This is a time when a lot of the great prophets were writing. A time when the prophets were speaking out about the split of, of the kingdom and God's people turning away from the Lord. And Amos, Hosea, Isaiah are some of the prophets uh, during this time. The period of the two kingdoms. So, so you have the... You have uh, Israel in the north, and Judah is the southern kingdom. That's what we mean by the two kingdoms. Uh, the northern kingdom was ten tribes. The southern kingdom was two tribes. So now, now God's people are divided. The nation is divided. The period of two kingdoms. Uh, period number eight is the fall of both kingdoms. The fall of both kingdoms. The ten Northern tribes fall to Syria in 722. And then the two southern tribes fall to Babylon. Judah falls to Babylon in 587. So now the people of God are conquered. And you see the the biblical references there. There are many to this time period. Syria devastated the northern kingdom. and That was essentially the end of Israel. The northern kingdom was abolished. Years later, the southern kingdom, Babylon destroyed the southern kingdom, 587, and carried God's people away from their homeland. That leads to period number 9, which is the period of the Babylonian exile. 587 to 537 B.C. So God's people are now carried away into exile. They're not living in their homeland. They're, they're, they're 
thousands of miles away from their homeland. The temple has been destroyed. The city of Jerusalem has been destroyed. The walls of the city have been destroyed. Uh, I mean, it's hard to paint a picture of how bad it was for God's people during this time. That was a period of the Babylonian exile. But something turned in 539 B.C. 539 B.C., Cyrus of Persia conquered Babylon. And the reason that is significant is because in 538, Cyrus, who now is in charge of Babylon, issues a decree that the Jews can go back to their homeland. That they're no longer slaves. They're, they're free to go back to their homeland. So in 537 B.C., the Judeans or the Jews return to Jerusalem. Uh, they didn't return all at once. There was actually three groups that, that returned to Jerusalem. But now they're, they're free to do that. They're free to return to their homeland. And it was basically three different waves or three different groups. Which leads to the tenth and final time period. And that is the restoration to the close of the Old Testament period. 537 to 150 B.C. roughly. The restoration being the restoration of God's city. The restoration of God's people. The uh, Basically, the, the books that, are, that talk about this are the books of Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Haggai, Zechariah, and of course, Malachi. So, look, look up here for a minute. Go to the next slide, I think. Yeah. So, here are the books. The one, two, three, four, five, six books that cover this time period of the restoration of God's people and the restoration of the city of Jerusalem. And not only the restoration, but also it brings us to the close of the Old Testament, which is, of course, the book of Malachi. Go to the final, the next one. During this time period, this, during this time when God's people move back to Jerusalem, they move back to the Holy Land, out of Babylon, three things happen that are significant for us. First of all, the reconstruction of the temple. They go back and they reconstruct the temple. They rebuild the temple. And then... Under Nehemiah, they go back and they rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. Not only is the temple rebuilt, but the walls around Jerusalem is rebuilt. And then, the significant thing is, there was religious reformation. Religious reformation so that uh, Ezra was used by God to bring the people back to the Word of God. And, and the message was basically this. We know what God is in trouble before. And if we don't start listening to God and obeying God, it can happen to us again. We never thought God would send us into captivity, but He did because we turned our back on God. And so Ezra called God's people. Now that this, the temple had been rebuilt and the walls around Jerusalem had been rebuilt, now, if you will, their religion needed to be rebuilt. Now they needed to make sure they turned their heart back to God. And that was the book of Ezra. All right, so that's just an Old Testament summary. Uh, why did Malachi then write this book? Malachi, remember, is that last book in the Old Testament period. So the question is, why did he write this book? He wrote his book during this time of restoration. Can you go back, I'm sorry, Amanda, can you go back to that previous slide? During this time of restoration, when the re when the temple was reconstructed and the walls were rebuilt and Ezra was leading this reformation, during this time of restoration, after that time actually, you would think that there would be a great time of spiritual fervor right here, right? 
Because now we're getting our temple back. Now the walls are rebuilt. Now we're returning to the Word of God. You would Watch this. This is so important. You would think this would be a great time of spiritual fervor. To use today's language, this would be a time of revival. And it was. For a while. By the time Malachi comes on the scene, about a hundred years have passed since all of this occurred. Now watch this. About a hundred years after all of this occurred, Malachi comes on the scene and the people of God have been looking for the blessings of God and they felt like God kind of let them down. Though the temple had been rebuilt, though the city had been restored, the fervor of those who returned to Israel was waning. Complacency began to take root in their souls and apathy for the things of God, apathy for the things of God began to be evident. Now you need to remember that during this time period a lot of the great prophets have died. The days of miracles had in many ways passed because men like Elijah and Elisha are no longer there. And when Malachi wrote his prophecy, the people of God had gotten to the point where they were now disillusioned. They were now discouraged. They were now defeated. They had great hopes when they left Babylon. They had great hopes that when they got back, it would be all that they dreamed it would be. But what they found out when they got home, life was as hard as it used to be. Now again, that took a long time. It didn't happen overnight that they wandered from God. But what happened was their spiritual fervor began to wane. And rather than address it, they ignored it. And it got worse, and it got worse, and it got worse. And so what we're going to do, we're going to end with a video. Uh, it's, it's seven minutes long, and this will be how we will end, and we'll pick up here next week. But this video, let me set it up for you. This video is from the Bible Project. We've used these before where it's that animated video that kind of draws and explains the Bible to you. It's excellent. Uh, so this is a, a, a video on the book of Malachi. I've tried to set the stage for you so that you can better understand what you're going to see on the video. And so I think it's going to be on the big screen for you, for you folks. And uh, for those watching online, I think Jonathan's going to put it on the screen for you as well. So let's watch that now. The book of the prophet Malachi. He lived about a hundred years after the Israelites had returned from their Babylonian exile. And his message was directed to the people who had been living in Jerusalem for some time now. The temple had been rebuilt a while ago and things were not going well. Just remember the stories from Ezra and Nehemiah. Now when the Israelites first returned from exile, their hopes were high. They would return and rebuild their lives and the temple, all of the great promises of the prophets would come true. The Messiah would come and set up God's kingdom over a unified Israel and over the nations and bring justice and peace for all. But that's not what happened. The Israelites who repopulated the city proved to be just as unfaithful to God as their ancestors, resulting in poverty and injustice. And so in Malachi, we find out just how corrupt this new generation has become. 
The book's designed as a series of disputes, and most sections begin with God saying something, making a claim or an accusation, and then Israel will disagree or question God's statement. And then God will respond and offer the last word. This happens six times. In the first three disputes, God exposes Israel's corruption, and in the final three disputes, he confronts their corruption. And the overall impression you get from these arguments and disputes is that the exile fundamentally didn't change anything in the people. Israel's hearts are as hard as ever. The first dispute starts when God says that he still loves his covenant people despite their failures. And Israel rudely objects, saying, how have you shown us any love? And so God reminds them of how he graciously chose the family of Jacob, their ancestor, to become the carrier of God's covenant promises instead of Esau, his brother, and the family that came from him, who eventually came to ruin. Remember the stories from Genesis and the book of Obadiah. And so right from this first dispute, Israel is exposed as suspicious doubting God's love and faithfulness. The second dispute exposes a problem with Israel's second temple. God accuses the people of despising and defiling the temple. And the people fire back, how have we despised you? And so God responds by focusing on the people, how they're bringing shamefully lame offerings of these sick, blemished animals that show that they don't value or honor their God. But it's not just the people, it's the priests too who run the temple. They not only tolerate but participate in these corrupt forms of worship. From top to bottom, God's people have proven faithless. In the third dispute, God accuses the Israelite men of treachery against him and their wives, which of course they deny. And God exposes the toxic combination of idolatry and divorce taking place. You have Israelite men marrying non-Israelite women and then adopting the worship of their wives' ancestral gods into their homes. Remember the story from Nehemiah chapter 13. And so Malachi connects this to a wave of men divorcing their wives for no good reason. And the people are all fine with this. And Malachi says, no, it's a betrayal of your covenant with God. And so Malachi transitions into the second set of disputes that confront Israel's rebellion. So the fourth dispute begins with the Israelites accusing God of neglect, saying, where is the God of justice? They see injustice and corruption abounding, and God seems to do nothing. So God responds by saying that he'll send a messenger who will prepare the people for God's personal return in the day of the Lord. He will come like fire to purify his people and to remove idolatry and sexual immorality and injustice so that only the faithful remnant is left to become his people. In the fifth dispute, God calls the people to turn back to him, to which the people say, how can we turn back? And so God confronts their selfishness. He shows how they've stopped offering a tithe of their income to the temple. Now, that word tithe just means one-tenth. It's the amount of their income and produce that the Israelites were to annually donate to support the temple and its priests. The practice is laid out in different parts of the Torah. Now, we know from Malachi and from the book of Nehemiah that the people were neglecting this responsibility. And so the temple was falling into disrepair. And so God confronts them. He says he wants to bless them with abundance, but only if they're going to be faithful. In the final dispute, the people accuse God and say that it's pointless to serve him. They observe wicked, prideful people succeeding in life, and God does nothing. And God's response for the first time in the book is not a speech. 
but rather a short story about the faithful remnant in Israel, people who fear the Lord and they love to get together and talk about how to honor God and serve him. And so God orders that a scroll of remembrance be written for these people so that they can read the scroll and remember God's character and promises. Malachi, he's reflecting here on the divine gift of the scriptures, how they point us to the past to remember what God has done in order to inspire faithfulness and hope for the future. Which leads to the conclusion of the book. It picks up and develops the imagery of the fourth dispute about the coming day of the Lord, but it develops it further. God says that he's appointed a day of purifying judgment that will consume the wicked from among his people. But what the conclusion adds is the future of the faithful remnant. Because for them, the day of the Lord is not a threat. It's a cause for joy. It'll be like the rays of the rising sun that bring healing and life and hope for the future. And so Malachi's disputes come to a close, but there's still a bit more to this book. The final three verses, they're not part of the disputes, and actually they function like a concluding appendix, bringing closure not just to Malachi, but to the whole collection of the Torah and the prophets. So first, the reader is called to remember the law or the Torah of my servant Moses. This recalls the story and the laws of the covenant that you find in the first five books of the Bible. But then we hear this summary of the books of the prophets. I will send the prophet Elijah before the day of the Lord, who will restore the hearts of God's people. So this conclusion, it summarizes the Torah and the prophets as a unified story that points to the future. Israel was redeemed by God, and then they betrayed him through their rebellion and hard hearts, breaking the laws of the Torah. But the scriptures anticipate a future day when God's going to send a new prophet, a Moses, a new Elijah, who will restore God's people and heal their hard hearts. Remember all of the promises from Deuteronomy and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And so this concluding appendix presents the scriptures as a divine gift to read and to ponder and to pray over. They tell the truth about the human condition, about our selfishness and our sin. But they also announce God's promise that one day he would send a messenger and then show up personally to confront evil, to restore his people and bring his healing justice. And it's that future hope that Malachi and the Torah and all of the prophets are about. be studying over the next several Wednesday nights. Let me call your attention to one final thing. Uh, this, this is very simple, I know, but would you go to the end of the book, the end of Malachi? And I don't know if your Bible is like mine, but after the book of Malachi, there's a blank page. And then the book of Matthew. You might want to write on that blank page that that blank page represents 400 years of history between the days of Malachi and the days of Matthew. 400 years of history between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, It's a fascinating study what happened. The world changed in those 400 years. We don't have time to get into that, but the world literally changed in those 400 years. But in summary, here's what God was doing. God used those 400 years to prepare the world for the coming of the Savior that was referenced in the book of Malachi. Last book of the Bible, last prophet to speak, speaks about facing our complacency and the one who would one day come to be our 
Redeemer. It's a great story. I hope you'll join us on Wednesday nights. Thank you for being here tonight. Thanks for tuning in. God bless. Have a good evening.